Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? Fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna love me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna love me for my ambition. Hopefully I sound okay here on the show. It is episode 86 here live on the Hooper's Log. We are recapping the weekend here for you on a Monday, March 7, 2016. We are in the thick of conference tournament play here. We are five automatic bids into the 32 automatic bids, and we will have about 27 of them more to announce and three more tonight as conference tournaments will be getting going. Obviously, the NCAA regular season is over. We have uh, those recapped. Uh, we, we will have a recap of conference tournament champions for you from over the weekend, uh, and we will give you an update on who will be playing tonight for their automatic bid. There are three championship games that will be in progress for the NCAA basketball world. Uh, we have a call on the line. I believe this is Andrew. Is this Andrew? Andrew, you there? Caller? All right. Winning championships here. As technical difficulties may be a part of the show today, uh, we are out in the middle of nowhere. So if this happens, my apologies in advance. Um, let's get the show going, and if you can hear me, that would be great. If not, uh, we'll, we'll just go from there. We'll try to do our best, and we'll try to do all that we can today. Uh, I believe uh, we have Jonathan Wagner on the show today. Jonathan, do you hear me? Yes, I do. How you doing? There, hey, Jonathan. How's it going, man? How, hey, Jonathan Wagner, by the way, this is a, a, a guy I've been following on Twitter for a, quite some time now. He has been following the conference, the Colonial Athletic Association Conference, and their champ, their championship game is tonight between UNC Wilmington and Hofstra. How has the conference tournament been going so far for you, Jonathan? And uh, what what have you been taking away? so far from uh from what's been going on in the colonial well i mean so far it's it's been no different really than how the regular season went you know the regular season was crazy uh that's the way this league is it's very competitive uh teams beat each other up on a nightly basis and uh you, there's no games that that you could take for granted in this league and, and throughout the regular season and it's, it's the way it's been in the tournament uh 52 points so far uh, is the total number of points that, that the games have been decided by in the first eight games of this conference. That's how tight it's been. Uh, uh, three of the games were decided by 11, 13, and 15. The other five games all decided by four points or less. And the two semifinal games yesterday decided by three points each. Uh, so at least five games of these first eight have gone right down to the end. And uh, it's, been, it's been a thrill. It's been exciting. And uh, can't wait for a great championship game tonight with uh, my uh, alum, uh, Hofstra, going against uh, – UNC Wilmington, and, and really that's the way it should be. It's the top two seeds uh, yeah. uh, in the conference, and they, they've been there. They've separated clearly separated themselves uh, from the rest of the pack. Um, they finished 14 and four in the league, the closest after that in third place. Three teams tied for 11 and seven. So this is really how it should be for the conference title. What's fascinating about that too is you said it yourself. Uh, it, you know, it, it should be this way between one and two. What's fascinating is I don't know if you've caught much of the other conference tournaments, but there have been a lot of crazy upsets. I mean, you saw it in the Atlantic Sun Conference, uh, Florida Gulf Coast winning in overtime over Stetson. Stetson wasn't even eligible to go to their to, yeah. the, to the tournament this year because of an academic issue. So if Stetson would have won, they would have had Florida uh, North Florida get in over them. That would have been a whole crazy situation there. But you had a team like Stetson, who had only won, I believe, four or five games in conference, seven games in conference, I believe, 
Uh, Florida Gulf Coast, obviously, we all remember from about two, three years ago when they made their Sweet 16 run in the ANCAA tournament, an unbelievable run there for them. But they make it back to the tournament. Uh, other conferences as well having a ton of upsets. Austin PA getting through. What's your take so far on what's been going on so far in conference play, obviously in the small brackets as we talk about the Colonial here? And uh, what's gone on here in the first week of March that, that you haven't seen in a while? This is very odd to see a ton of small conference, or maybe it's just me not focusing in on these small conference tournaments over the past couple of years. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of like the NCAA tournament, the conference tournaments. Usually, you know, you get your upsets, you get your surprises early on, and then ultimately the cream rises to the top. Um, uh, but we haven't seen that so far. And in you know, the regular season, it, you know, college basketball is always crazy with a lot of parity, but the regular season this particular year has especially been crazy. I think it's we're up to, what, 36, 37 top five teams that have lost this year. Uh, that's already almost double what it was last year. I think it's up to about uh, seven number one teams that have lost this year. So uh, it's just been crazy. But in the small conference tournaments, you know, like you said, Austin P, the eight seed, I mean, they're uh, – they they go ahead and beat the top seed Belmont in an exciting overtime game in the semifinals, um, and you know, there's only eight teams in that conference, so the lowest seed gets to the to the final there. Um, uh, it would have been a disaster, like you said, if, if North Florida had made it. I don't, I don't understand that rule. I don't see why you just don't give it to the runner-up if, if you know you get to that point. Although then that renders the conference uh, championship game kind of meaningless for the for for the for the um, FGCU. Had they lost the game, they would have gotten it anyway. But I think that's a better rule than just giving it to somebody that's not even playing in the game. So uh, it's it's just been a crazy year. Uh, The thing about the Colonial, though, is, uh, you know, you have the the top two teams. uh, Like I said, this is the way it should be. Uh, There's been been some parity throughout throughout the conference uh, all regular season long. But uh, ultimately, you get the top two teams. And I guess, you know, what we love about March Madness this time of year, we love about, about college basketball, especially the NCAA tournament and the conference tournaments, uh, is, is the potential of the upset or, or the upsets actually taking place. That's why they call it March Madness. If, if what happened uh, in every conference happened here in the, in the CAA final with the top two seeds making, it would kind of be like March Monotony, you know, instead. It wouldn't be exactly mm-hmm. March Madness. So, so uh, you know, but it's still, it's still fun. It, it renders the at least in the CA's case, the regular season meaningful because these two teams, like I said, had separated themselves all year long and should be a great championship game tonight. So when you have a situation like Austin P, it is exciting, but also what does the regular season really mean when you could finish right. in your conference last place and you still go to the, go to the, uh, the NCAA tournament as, as the only bid out of that league. Yeah, it's, it, it, I agree with you. And, and, and what's fascinating is this year, I mean, again, you, make the, you can make the case that the conference tournaments are so exciting from the standpoint of obviously upsets can occur. But considering a year like this year, I mean, you just mentioned it, the top 25. And I know that SMU isn't eligible for a, uh, a, a, a NCAA tournament bid this season. But, I mean, just think about this. And you brought it up yourself. SMU ranks 24th in the country and Kansas ranks first. Now, I understand they're completely different conferences. I understand that. it's a, But if, imagine, okay. I want people, the general population who's listening right now, for those of you on Apple iTunes or even listening live, if you'd like to call in, if you're listening live, feel free to, free to do so, 323-642-1558. We're here, episode 86 on the Hooper's Log in the SeatGeek Studios. But just think about this. Imagine if college football, this is just a completely different sport, but imagine if college football had their number one seed at 12-0 and and they had their 24th seed at 12 and 0. That's what we're talking about in college basketball right now. And the only difference is, is the fact that they're not in the same conference. You have a team like Kansas ranked 25 ranked first in the country, ranked 25 and 0. And I understand the Big 12 is a completely different world than uh where SMU is playing. But they're 24 and 4. Texas is ranked 19 and 10. I haven't seen a 10-loss team in the top 25 in a long time. And I know these I know yeah. these rankings will update tonight obviously, due to the fact that the rankings will be coming up uh, later on. But you've got a circumstance where you have multiple teams in the top ten who have six, five, six losses normally in the past. And, and what normally happens in NCAA tournament uh, world, which you know of, teams that are on the bubble generally have eight, nine, ten losses. And we're talking about a potentially them getting kicked out. We've got a team in LSU right now where I know their RPI is very low that they have been battling all season long in the SEC, and people are talking about them potentially not making it, which means the opening 
of smaller conferences and getting them in as an open bid makes it possible. It, it is crazy. And for you to mention the fact that, yes, team like Austin PA getting through their conference tournament is unbelievable. It is a great – it is a cool thing to see. It does kind of demeanor the fact that, let's be honest, and I know, you, I know you're speaking for it yourself, uh, looking at the Colonial, you want to see these top seeds get through because going into March Madness this year, in a year like this year, honestly, and, and I don't think it's too far-fetched to say, we have never seen a 16 beat a 1. This could be the year where if every single top seed, top 1 or 2, doesn't matter, 1 or 2 seed gets through their conference play in these small tournaments, who's to say that this wouldn't be the year where if a team at a number one bracket seed, who's to say that Villanova wouldn't lose to a 16 seed right now? It could happen. It really could. And, and, and I am one to say where, you know, over the years, as I've watched sports and basketball, and definitely when March Madness rolls around, I've been one to say that the 16 seed will never be the one seed. And, and looking at it this year with, with, you know, three and four right now, as of the, as of the ranking stand, as it have Virginia and Villanova, two smaller uh, teams and how they play, Who's to say that a small team in you know and I know the I know the I know the NCAA the the guys the the guys who pick the NCAA tourney and the, the teams that they know who they're picking for those six seeds I know a sixteen seeds I know they pick the right teams to face them because they don't want to see it happen either that's the goal of the entire thing but to say that it wouldn't happen this year if if all went perfectly in conference play which we know wouldn't wouldn't happen but if it did you're talking about a circumstance where we really could see a sixteen seed. Beat a one. Do you potentially see now if, if all goes well, and I don't think it will happen because I think Austin PA will be one of those teams that becomes a 16 seed. But let's just say here over the next couple of years, uh, Jonathan. Let's just say here over the next couple of years that this keep, beca- keeps becoming the trend in college basketball, where you have the top four seeds having you know Virginia six losses, Virginia, uh, Michigan State five losses. Let's say you have this trend keep on going in college basketball where the top teams become kind of watered down. Do you see a 16 seed beating a one seed here within this decade? Do you see it potentially happening? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we always say that eventually it's going to happen. Um, it, it could be this year. You're right. I mean, like you said, who's to say it couldn't? Again, with, with seven number one teams already losing this year and we're not even – at Selection Sunday yet, you know, this could be the year. You look at a team like Florida Gulf Coast, that we mentioned before, I mean, they went to the Sweet 16 first time ever, a 15 seed ever did that a few years ago. So I, I, they're not exactly the same team this year, not exactly as strong this year as then, but it is the same style. And uh, they're probably going to go out there and play fast and loose, which is what got them to the Sweet 16 as a 15 seed, I think it was uh, three years ago. So, uh, so you know, a, a team like that, you know, if you catch a team on the right, all it takes is, is, a, is a top seed to overlook uh, a 16 seed. Uh, and we've, we've seen it before. I mean, we've seen, it, we've seen one seed go to overtime against 16 seeds or have, uh, have legitimate scares down the stretch, uh, and they pull it out just because they're the better team. But uh, all it takes is, is for a top seed to have a cold shooting day or something like that, and, and the other team, you know, the longer you let a team like that, a 16 seed, hang around, uh, the, long, the, the better chance they're going to have to pull it out down the stretch if they make a couple shots. So, uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all. It was in the next decade, and, and who knows, it could even be this year with as, as crazy as it's been uh, at the top of the of the rankings this year. I think it would be uh, obviously story of the year uh, from many perspectives considering it's never half-bracket. I know this is best of 68, but we all know there's four playing games. But outside those four playing games, it's always been a – Bracket of 64, 68, obviously, with the technicality, but um, it would be one of these stories. It'd be kind of like when uh, when, Austin, when uh, American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown last year. It'd be one of those recognizing stories of the entire year if the 16 seed did beat a one seed. It would be that big of an upset. Just to give you an update, and you already know this, uh, you already know this, Jonathan, but just the, just the general public out there, the automatic bids, the five. Austin PA won the uh, Ohio Valley Conference, beating T. Martin again an upset there, eighty three seventy three. They got it done over the weekend. They're an automatic bid there in the NCAA tournament. NIU. Now this is another question I wanted to ask you in the Missouri Valley Conference. They beat Evansville at the buzzer. Wes Washpun with a big time, you know, off the back of the backboard teardrop down at the buzzers, fifty six fifty four. Now I don't. I mean, I know you covered the Knicks. I know you. We'll, we'll get to the Knicks here in a moment, but. Um, 
Wes Washpun, I have been on a bandwagon of his over the last couple of months now. I remember watching him play against Wichita State earlier in the season, and he went absolutely off. Do you see any potential from this guy? If you, if you, if you have seen Wes Washpun play for Northern Iowa, does he look like an NBA guy? He, he reminds me a lot of a Damian Lillard, a, uh, a C.J. McCollum, a guy who's got immense talent, but maybe doesn't look like he's good. Consider, I mean, not that he's not good. Doesn't look like he's, quote-unquote, elite heading into the draft because of his, you know, his, his small school presence playing at Northern Iowa. But this guy reminds me a lot of, and it's not, it's not the fact that he's as talented. I don't want to say that, but it's from the standpoint of his, of his athleticism and, and how he wants to I – mean, his approach to the game reminds me so much of Kemba Walker from about three or four years ago and what he does on the basketball floor. And, again, he doesn't look like he's as polished as a Kemba Walker or a – you know, other players in the past who we've seen in college basketball greats and great conferences. But this guy looks like if he gets picked up in the draft at some point in the NBA draft, if he does, which I think he will, if he does, or even if he goes to a D league, I got a weird feeling this guy is going to come into the NBA in the next uh, three to four years and be one of the big stars, kind of like Damian Lillard might be underappreciated, but he looks like he has the ability to do something big. Have you watched a little bit of Wes Washburn? And if you have, what's your take on him from Northern Iowa? I, I haven't seen him too much, uh, but I, I do know the Missouri Valley is the conference that I'd like to keep an eye on because they, they've always uh, produced such good talent and had, had such such good teams over the years and, and teams that have actually, you know, caused some damage in the NCAA tournament at times. So, uh, uh, you know, he's a little undersized at 6'1", 175, but you can get, you can get by – uh, with quickness, and uh, you know he's got that, and, and basketball IQ, like like you, I think you're alluding to, and uh, yeah. you know he's the thing about him is he's, he has improved. He's taken a big jump this year, uh, even though he's kind of the quote unquote uh, mid major uh, uh, school in Northern Iowa, and he did he did start out with Tennessee, uh, but his field goal percentage has been consistent. You know he's been mid to high 40s, 47, 44% this year. Uh, he's good at the defensive end, gets gets some steals for you. A uh, good decision maker, uh, and he's, he's he's doubled his scoring this year. He's only about a seven or eight point uh, scorer uh, per game over his last couple of years. But you know, as a senior this year, he's uh, he's up to fourteen a game. So, uh, and and you know, this is this is the time of year where you make a name for yourself. This is where you open eyes. It's kind of unfair in a way uh, because yeah. you have a whole career for guys to look at you. But when you go to school like Northern Iowa. If you're not at a Michigan State or Kansas or something like that, you kind of get yeah. overlooked a lot of times by the scouts, so you kind of go under the radar. So this is the chance this one time here. You know, it, like I said, it's unfair because it boils down to well, what do you do in March? Uh, in, right. in that one time in March, either you know, in one year or two years in, out of your whole career. Uh, and for him though, this is the showcase. You know, he's a four seed with Northern Iowa. They take out the top seed, Wichita State, in overtime in the semifinals. They barely get by the two seed, Evansville, by two points yesterday uh, in the finals. And now uh, here they are uh, in the NCAA tournament with an automatic bid. So he's got to make the most of that if he can. And Northern Iowa makes some noise in the tournament, and it's because of him in large part. That's going to be his showcase, and that's going to be where he does open some more eyes that maybe he wouldn't have. And that's the great thing about – March Madness and about the conference tournaments, about the NCAA tournament for guys like him from some of the uh, quote unquote, you know, maybe smaller schools, uh, even though Northern Iowa is not that small, you know, in terms of, uh, right. uh, or Missouri Valley's not, you know, it's not, it's not you know, like a SWAC or something like that. But, but even mm-hmm. still, uh, for someone like him, this is their showcase, this is their time to kind of open some eyes. And, uh, you know, a guy like him, he'll probably get some, some calls and, you know, maybe a Portsmouth tournament, something like that, or Summer League or something like that. And if you open eyes there, sure. uh, you know, that could be your ticket. Like you said, guys like Lillard from Weber State, you know, um, we, McCollum from Lehigh, his teammate, uh, these are the guys, if you're good, you know, eventually you'll, people will notice you. You have to be so good that people can't ignore you, and that's it if, if you're at that level. And that's basically what guys like that do. Yeah, and he's been improving a lot. I mean, I've watched him all year, and like you said, he's improved immensely as a senior. And I feel like, and again, it, it all goes back to the whole draft thing. These young guys coming out of these schools, these big schools, you know, not to knock them, but the maturity level just isn't there, and the and, and the and the push just isn't there compared to a guy who's 22, 21, 22 years old. It's just not there comparatively when it comes to the maturity level. And that's what I see Wes Washburn. I've seen him grow from a, like you said, an IQ perspective, from 
I remember him last year a little bit, and then I remember him this year, especially obviously as he's moved forward, and he's only improved more and more and more. Those are the kind of guys where I feel once they get into that conversation of potentially being a higher and higher draft pick as he moves themselves up, you're seeing a situation where, again, like you said, Damian Lillard, uh, Lee, uh, you know, uh, C.J. McCollum, guys like that. Not that he's going to be that great, but he could be a potential a guy in the NBA who could turn into a 15-minute-per-night type of guy with the way he's playing right now, you know, down the road. And who knows, maybe he could be a star in the NBA. That's kind of where these things start to begin. And who knows, he could be one of those guys. But uh, anyway, moving on a little bit here, uh, just, just a couple more uh, automatic bids. UNC Asheville getting it done in the Big South, beating Winthrop 77-68. They got it done as well. Uh, like we just mentioned, Florida Gulf Coast, uh, over an overtime victory over Stetson, 80-78 uh, there. And then Princeton got in in the Ivy League, an automatic bid there. They don't have a conference tournament, but they automatically got in first time since 1962. Good stuff there. A couple of championship games tonight in the world of college basketball. Southern beating – or excuse me, Southern Championship. Uh, there will be three more teams automatically into the NCAA tournament tonight. Chattanooga and ETSU will be playing one another in the Southern Championship. M-A-A-C, Iona, at Monmouth. They'll be playing one another there. And then in the Colonial, like we just mentioned, UNC Wilmington and Hofstra. I know this guy, Jonathan, uh, will be there. Jonathan William, uh, Jonathan Wagner, excuse me. Uh, he is uh, a part of the Colonial Association, but he's also rights for the Knicks. I know you probably got to go here sh- shortly, uh, Jonathan, uh, but I did want to hit up on the Knicks real quick before you get out of here. What have you seen from this team Compared to last year, I wish Andrew was here. Andrew's my co-host. He's not on the show today. He's not feeling well. He also works at this time of the day. I work at night uh, here on the West Coast. It's about 9 in the morning, but normally I work from noon till whenever we get out. It's a long days, as you know, uh, in this life that we live. Um, but, uh, but I wanted to get your take on this Knicks team and what they've done this season compared to past years. I know they're not a great organization right now. I know they're going through some – real rough patches, but considering the improvement they've made from a year ago to where they are now, I mean, what have you seen from a guy like Chris Stapps Porzingis? Has Melo's game improved, uh, the, the entirety of the organization? What have you seen overall there at Madison Square Garden as this team is, has really taken a leap in bound from a year ago? Well, yeah, I mean, I look at it two ways because you have to look at it versus last year, true. And from that standpoint, I mean, you're basically rock bottom with a 17-win season, the worst in franchise history. So there was nowhere to go but up. So from there, from that standpoint, they've done their job, especially with the 22 and 22 start, and there was hope. Uh, but since then, they lost uh, 15 of 18 uh, before they finally uh, won another game, their last game against Detroit. Uh, but I, I looking at the other angle from it, I look at it versus when, not just versus last year, but looking at it to two years ago when Phil started. So yeah. the thing is, if like, yeah, they did come, they didn't raise up from the 17 win season from last year, but if you go back, say they win, doesn't even look like they'll get there. 37 wins no. uh, this year. So where does that put you? You know, from two years ago, it puts you right back to where you were when you won 37 games when Phil took over. So right. I don't see that as tremendous progress, but, uh, there is hope, at least, because now you have a young guy out of the draft. The Knicks have always drafted, for the most part, so poorly uh, over the years. So uh, at least now there's hope with a guy like Przingis, where his upside is tremendous. Um, he's still got uh, some things to learn, but he, he wants to win. He wants to learn. He wants to be better, and I think that's what will make him better and continue to improve and, and continue to get better. Uh, and he's only 20. You know, we have to remember that. He's, he, there yeah. are some mistakes that he makes out there, but – Defensively, he, he's a rim protector, blocks a lot of shots. He broke Patrick Ewing's record already, a mixed team record for a rookie uh, with blocked shots. Uh, he does a lot of things on the offensive end, although the, the consistency and the, the shooting percentage still needs to come up. But that will come as, as he gets older. Remember, this yeah. guy's still maybe six, seven, eight Baby. years away from his prime. So, you know, imagine what he'll learn in that time. So if, if he continues to grow, and I think he will, that's one piece to build around. The problem is for the Knicks, their biggest problem right now is the timing doesn't work because by the time he actually right. starts to develop, Melo's window is probably going to be closing. So that's really the yes. problem. That's why when they re-sign Melo with the five-year deal, the wisest thing in retrospect, and I kind of said it back then, might have been because of the age and because of the knee issue, knee issue started back then, even though he's okay now it seems, uh, 
is probably if you could have done a sign and trade and get some pieces because then if you have those along with a Przingis, you might really be building something toward the future, kind of like the way you know Portland's doing, Boston has done, and that's kind of the the route that they should have followed. But you know, yeah, with the Knicks, it's often it's about the big draw and, and making money. You know, the fans still come; they have 230 or so consecutive sellouts, even though the product has not been good over the last three years. And if you can get that big drawing card and a Carmelo Anthony to, to sell out the garden every night, well, you know, that's the priority, it seems, for the Knicks uh, over winning. Not that James Dolan doesn't want to win, and he does certainly spend a lot of money right. to win, but I think sometimes it's the quick fix, and Melo is kind of part of that mm-hmm. rather than looking more long-term. And we'll see what Phil Jackson does here. He's still got three years left in the five-year plan, but uh, there is hope, at least with Porzingis now, that – the Knicks fan didn't have before in the past. Well, what's fascinating is, is and, and this is an issue in L.A. as well, obviously the Clippers are playing successfully, but the Lakers have not. Obviously we'll talk about, I'll talk about the Golden State Warriors and Lakers when we get off the air unless you'd like to bring it up now, but um, the Lakers and, and Knicks are the two biggest markets in all of the NBA. And what's fascinating is, is it, we, I'm sure, I don't know about you, I'm not much of a TV watcher, but from when I look at ratings, when it comes to television every once in a while, and I see what's most important and popular on television, it's reality TV. And I, I hate to say this and associate this with the Knicks and the Lakers, but they're more <laughs> built like a reality series than they are like a basketball team. They are. And, 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 and those are the two biggest markets in all of the NBA, and they're just trying to draw ratings from what it sounds like and what it feels like from what it sounds And my biggest question to you is when it comes to that conversation is why even hire a guy like Derek Fisher? I mean, this team, like you said, two years ago when you said that they only won 37 games, they were just a hair away from making the postseason. And if they did make the postseason, they weren't, you know, they weren't anything special. You know, it was just kind of, they were there and existing. They were more of an entertainment field because they were the Knicks. They were, you know, they're, 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 they're New York. They're this, they're the, they're the garden, you know, but, that's more of the presence of the team than the actual, you know, than the actual winning and the success. And that is a fascinating take considering the the draw that New York should have, the draw that LA should have, the draw that these top five markets should have yet. They're more reality TV shows than they are, you know, successful, uh, you know, businesses from, from a sense. And I know that they're trying to win and I know they're trying to get it done and the quick fix is there, but there may be another aspect to that. And the thing that bothers me is you got a guy like Derek Fisher, who's one of the smartest players we've ever had in this league ever. And, and, and he doesn't do very well because he's kind of set up for, for failure. You know, Jock Vaughn was set up for failure in, in Orlando. You got other guys like uh, Jason Kidd who were set up with a lot of pressure when he went to Brooklyn, his first year coaching. And, and clearly you had a lot of older guys who were way past their prime and Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And I can go down the list, Darren Williams. They just, there's a lot of interesting things going on. And, and, and to see that happening in team for teams like New York, I've been to the garden look, and I'm telling you, and I've told you this on Twitter and I've told many people of this, if you're a basketball fan, if you love the sport, if you appreciate what you watch on the screen and you've never been, and I'm not talking about appreciate, I'm talking about this is your life. If you've never been to Madison Square Garden, you are doing your life, your, 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 your livelihood, what you do a disservice. I don't know what it is. I've been to Yankee Stadium. I've been to the monuments out there at, in the Bronx. It, you, get, you get chills. I walked into Madison Square Garden about two, three years ago I got chills from the standpoint of the historic relevance, the historic importance. You, you just get that feeling of this is a place you need to be if you're a basketball fan, and at least in, at least see a game. It doesn't matter what game it is. It could be a high school game, a, a, a college basketball game, just a random. You need to be at the Garden at some point in your life because there is a lot of history that is in that building, and it just it just weighs on you. And 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 for this team to not hold up that standard, not that they aren't trying to. But to put on this image of quick fix drama and getting things kind of, you know, to just become more, you know, of a TV show than an actual successful, it, 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 it kind of irks me. Because I, I don't know, I kind of grabbed a part of that when I went to a Knicks game about three years ago. But that's one question I wanted to lead you off with before, before I get you out of here, Jonathan. I know you're busy. Um, what, what was the situation with Derek Fisher last year? They hired him. They thought he'd be a good pickup. He was kind of being molded under the wings for for that team to or to become a head coach at some point, and really it just did not 
work. And, and, and what's interesting, too, is you mentioned the whole, you know, quick fix. This team was playing really well with Derek Fisher. They were improving immensely this year with him. Then they just let him go. I, that makes no sense to me. What was the what was the circumstance for him, for this team moving forward, uh, for this for the year and a half that he was there? What was the whole point of him being even being there if they weren't going to keep him? Well, well, first you're right about the Garden, and you know I'm fortunate enough to go there a lot with, with covering the Knicks and yeah. covering college basketball there. But uh, I think what happened was, you know, when they were playing well, uh, it was kind of fool's gold uh, earlier on. And uh, some of his decision-making, you know, with rotations, but you're, you're going to get that from a young coach. So, you know, he had to learn as well as, as well as sure. the younger players had to learn. But I, like you said, I think Phil Jackson, he kind of set him up for failure to a degree. The Jose Calderon trade didn't work. Uh, you know, you have to remember, Phil had never done this job before. I, I kind of questioned it from the start. I thought that Dolan should have hired, uh, and, and this is where I do have a problem with Dolan. Like I said before, Dolan wants to win. He spends money, but, he also wants to make sure the garden sells out, and he also wants to kind of go for the the big splash, the big name. So it's you know it's resigning Mello to the five year deal instead of maybe trading him and building toward the future and looking beyond the immediate. And it, and it's it's getting the big name in Phil Jackson rather than trying to look, look at a guy like Neil Olshey, like with, with Portland, right? He, he's been a great young GM. He's really turned that that team around. They lost their second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh leading scorers from last year, and they're better than the Knicks this year. They just recently blew right. the Knicks out at, at the Garden I was there, and the, the Knicks have their fifth and sixth leading score from last year with with, with Aflalo and, and, and Lopez. And Lopez has actually done a good job. I, I have to give credit for, for uh, yes. to Phil for that one. But uh, but there's not much else. I mean, the, the Colorado, if it were me, I probably would have just let the $14 million for Tyson Chandler expire and just take that money and try and go out, go out and, and try and find a, a – at least a, a better point guard, a decent point guard, and been patient rather than I didn't understand the urgency to ship him off and, and get back uh, Shane Larkin, who's now gone, and and uh, and, and get back Jose Calderon, who uh, is I hate to put it on Jose because he's a great guy and yeah. he's he's in, and uh, he tries hard and he's had a pretty good career overall, but at this stage of his career, uh, that's a lot of the problem with the Knicks is that. Uh, on a nightly basis, they get beat by a guy like we mentioned before, like Damian Lillard. He'll he'll just torch him, and then that's that's part of the big problem with the Knicks. Um, I, I think that that with the Knicks, you know, they they kind of they're kind of stuck right here because, like I said, with the timing, uh, you're waiting for Przingis, but at the same time, you you don't have a a, a long window with Melo. Mm-hmm. So uh, as far as Fisher goes. He was kind of put in that situation that you know the, he had he had the problem you know with with Matt Barnes's uh, wife and and those types of things so that didn't go so well but and and I yeah. think the biggest thing though with him was uh, what what Phil didn't like was that uh, Fisher didn't really have an adherence to the triangle um, mm-hmm. I think uh, as far as Phil goes he probably would have liked uh, to to have to have Fisher. Listen to the guys he's surrounded with. Kurt Rambis, who's the coach on the team on interim basis now, Jim Clemens, uh, some of the other assistants that were Phil guys that he put in place for yeah. a reason to surround Fisher with. And Fisher just kind of didn't really lean on them, didn't really didn't really look toward them uh, for for any sort of advice or guidance or anything, and and didn't really have as much of, of an adherence to the triangle as Phil would have liked. And, and that's probably – I think that's also a problem with Phil, though, is that even, even now, you look at the coaching search now, a guy like Tom Thibodeau is out there waiting. A guy like Mark Jackson could be available. Uh, good coaches that could come in, but they're not necessarily triangle guys. And nobody right. else in the league runs the triangle, but Phil insists on the triangle being run. Now, he said he might have some flexibility with that, but I think for the yep. most part, Phil would like his type of triangle coach in there. That's why he hired Fisher in the first place. It didn't work out, and I think, you know, that's that's kind of a stubbornness on Phil Jackson's part where he has to kind of yeah. his mind up a little bit and say, look, Tom Thibodeau's the best coach out there. Let me go hire him. Let me pick up the call. There's no reason right. why Jimmer Fredette should be signed, mm-hmm. should be the priority for a 10-day contract over, all, over <laughs> calling Tom Thibodeau to coach the New York Knicks. And that's, that's, that sums up 
where the Knicks are. Mm-hmm. With, with, with Dolan trying to, to sell tickets, you know, let's make the big splash. Let's let's uh, let, let's let's shine a light on the on the uh, the D League and the and the success of the, of the Westchester Knicks and the D League by bringing Fredette in here yeah. for ten day contract, even though he's never going to play. When the priority should be going after a guy like Tom Thibodeau or a decent coach to coach this team. Uh, sometimes their priorities are not what they should be with the Knicks in the case, and that's a perfect example. And, and that's why they're kind of where they are right now. Was I know I know we're about to get out of here. Was was Jeff Teague was Jeff Teague a real rumor? Was that a real thing? Uh, there was interest, but I, I don't think it was ever something. I mean, I don't. The Knicks don't really have assets right now. Um, they don't have they don't have a pick next year. And, um, they, there's not really guys that that, that they could trade. Uh, that other teams would be interested in. There's no reason why uh, why Atlanta wouldn't want to go somewhere else and get more value if they're going to deal them. So uh, I don't know that the Knicks are, are great trade suitors with, with too many guys. And so, again, they're going to go through the free agent route and go through the quick fix, yeah. and it just keeps going around that same cycle over and over. Uh, yeah. To me, the right right thing to do would have been to follow the lead of the Celtics. I mean, you look at all the, all the draft picks that they've stockpiled, and that is one team, though, because of those draft picks, that if Carmelo, and he loves New York uh, and he doesn't want to leave, but if he does get fed up and eventually changes his mind and weighs that no-trade clause, to me the Celtics are the team that would be the perfect suitor oh. because there there was strong interest uh, in Melo, it still is, on the Celtics' part. And they're the ones that have all the draft picks that they've stockpiled, and the Knicks could use some of those. So we'll see what happens. But right now the no-trade clause is not being waived. It is. Uh, I'm telling you, I work. I'm here for CLNS Radio, and it's an, it's incredible, Jonathan. Real quickly before I before I let you go, I, I got just one thing to tell you. I mean, I I've been here for CLNS Radio since the beginning, pretty much the beginning of 2015, and I'm telling you, the 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 change in the the perspective of this team has completely flip flopped. I remember about a year year and a half ago, listening to people from CLNS Radio talk about how Brad Stevens wasn't the guy, and I was sitting there saying, you guys are insane. This guy who came from Butler and yeah. in now two and a half years has completely completely shifted the change in the, in, the, in the culture of this organization from, you know, really dwindling superstars with Doc Rivers and those guys. Granted, they made a great run in 08 and 2010 where they almost won their second championship with those guys. That was a great run. And obviously they made their runs in the Eastern Conference playoffs. They couldn't quite get it done. They just got older. And then they, they turned into this really bad team. And they brought Brad Stevens in. And everyone was like, why aren't we great now? Why aren't we great now? This, that. And it's like, man, this guy is – he changed the culture. He completely worked with a roster last year from the beginning of the year to the very end that swapped, that changed completely. And they still got to the postseason. Yes, they got swept by the Cavs. But they got, but they played. They played in the postseason, and now this year they're one of the top three teams in the Eastern Conference. And granted, the Eastern Conference is kind of eh, but but the Boston Celtics have just only improved, played great team basketball. They have found ways to get better over time, and it's amazing the 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 uh, the the hearing from the people around here of what they're saying on this team is completely flip flop. But I want to get you out on this one question before we go. I have had this debate with people for the last five years, and people don't understand my logic. They don't get it. I don't talk about Melo from the perspective of defense. I talk about him from the perspective of offense when I, when I talk about his greatness. And when it comes to an individual one-on-one player, I can't think of a better player one-on-one off the dribble at the top of the – you know, on the elbow – about, you know, about 23 feet away that I'd rather have in an ISO move, other than Michael Jordan, than a guy like Carmelo Anthony. Because people don't understand when this guy – and you have to watch him in person, really, to understand his greatness one-on-one. The guy's jumper is so fluid and so quick. On TV, TV kind of changes it. But when you watch it in person, he is one of the quickest guys off the dribble to shoot a basketball. Yeah. People talk about Steph Curry. People talk about T- Steph Curry being quick off the dribble. That's because he's smaller and he's got less of a less of movement to go. This guy is six foot seven, six foot eight, and he shoots off the dribble quicker than almost anybody in the league. And considering when his jumper is on, he is unbelievable. I have talked to people about how his offensive game is one of the more legendary offensive games we've ever seen. The guy is six eight. He can play you like a guard. He can back you down. And the most impressive thing about him is that he can kind of take you square up to the rim and then kind of take his shoulder to you 
and then bounce off of any contact and almost have a perfect release with that contact. This is one of the greatest offensive players we'll ever see. And that's saying something considering we're in an era with, you know, LeBron James and guys like DeMar DeRozan and, and, and great scores in this league and, you know, Steph Curry. And Carmelo Anthony, and I know he's getting older, but in the prime of his career, I can't think of a better – and people say, oh, you're crazy, Kevin Durant's amazing and blah, blah, blah. Kevin Durant can't back down a guy and play him face up from 23 feet away and drive, drive him to the rack and make it. He can't do that. Like, he can't. He can, he can weave his way in, but he can't use his body as, as, a, as a, uh, you know, a physical tool to, to break it down down low and actually put up a post game. Kevin Durant can't do that. He's never been able to do it. Melo can do it all. He's got, the, he's got the dirt shot. He's got the KG moves. He's got the back down, post man, big man moves. He's got it all. Have you seen a, anyone as close to Melo? I mean, you've covered him a little bit. Have you seen anyone as close to Melo when it comes to his offensive game and what he's done? Because I'm telling you, man, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone outside of a guy like Michael Jordan have the type of offensive – I'm talking offense – offensive game that Melo has throughout his career. Well, I mean, this is an aberration, but the, the thing that I saw about Melo – uh, that that just I couldn't believe was I, I was at the Garden for that 62 point game uh, mm-hmm. when he broke Bernard King's record, the, the Knicks team record, uh, Bernard scoring 60 points. You know, way back in I believe 1984, yeah. uh, 85. Uh, and I've never seen anybody in any game so locked in, so automatic. Even Curry, as much as Curry is is unbelievable when yeah. he gets on a roll. That game, I've never seen anybody so locked in. Everything that Melo put up you thought was going in. He was just unbelievable. And I know obviously that's, you know, that's the best game of his career, and he's not always like that. And, and you bring up a guy like Durant, the one thing I like about Durant uh, is, is that he's a little more efficient. The shooting percentage is higher over his career yes. so far. And, and uh, Melo, you know, I, I would like his shooting percentage to be up more. But some of that is a function of, of who he's played with. Um, you right. know, you look at it right now, this stat kind of tells it all. He's the only player in the NBA right now who leads his team in points, rebounds, and assists. And that's to his credit. He's changed his game. A lot of people said, you know, too much ISO and, and, and too much selfish mm-hmm. play on his part, doesn't look, look for his teammates, doesn't trust his teammates. He's done a lot more of that this year, uh, all season long, trusting his teammates, trying to make a – and he's done it well. He's made some beautiful skip passes, nice cross-court passes to open teammates to, to knock down a jumper or knock down a three. Um, but that stat tells you – everything you need to know about, about where Melo and the Knicks are right now because he shouldn't have to do that. There's a reason why players on other teams uh, don't have that same stat, some of the other stars, because they don't have to do it. They have other help that they can rely on, so they don't have to lead a team in points, rebounds, and assists. Melo does because aside from Przingis, there's not a whole lot there to give him assistance. And on the, on the anniversary of the trade a couple weeks ago, uh, it was after yeah. another loss at, at the Garden, uh, the five-year uh, anniversary of the trade that, that brought him over from Denver. Uh, we were standing at his locker, and I reminded him. I said, you know, Melo, this is the uh, five-year anniversary of the trade that brought you here. Uh, in that time, you've been now through four coaches, uh, four general managers, or if you want to count three general managers and one executive with Phil, uh, one president with Phil. Uh, and now, by my count, it was at the time uh, 70 different teammates in five years, and and that's the number that yeah. everybody started talking about because it just shed some light on what's yeah. going on with Melo and the Knicks. The one constant from that trade from five years ago is Melo. He's the only player left from from yep. that trade when when the trade was made. Now, the Knicks thought they were going to build, build at the time the best front line in the NBA, but Amari Stoudemire's injuries derailed that. Tyson Chandler kind of regressed a little bit after he was the defensive player of the year, so that never worked out. And then the Knicks just, yeah. like they always do, try and go with the quick fix and try and try and band-aid and piece it together, and it just never works out, and they go in that same cycle. But that number tells you uh, where he's been with, with his team. Uh, 70 different teammates, or I think it's yeah. maybe 69 or 70, uh, over five years, you're basically turning over the roster, the entire roster, other than Melo, on average, uh, once a year. So... Uh, there's, yeah. You can't win that way in the NBA. You need at some point some continuity, some consistency. You know, four different yeah. coaches, four different GMs, seven different teams. It makes it almost impossible to win 
uh, and he's doing pretty much all he can do. If you were to put him on a good team with, with good talent surrounding him where he doesn't have to be the top guy all the time, he could be a second option, so nice maybe a third yeah. option. Um, he would help a team. Imagine last year, right, the Rockets uh, with, with the run they had. And, and oh, my they, God. They, they, they went to the Western Finals against Golden State. Imagine the Rockets. Oh, my God. Again, that was one of the teams he could have gone to. He could have gone to Chicago, could have yeah. gone to Houston, a free agency. Oh, we were imagine talking about Mello, it. We were talking about Yeah, it. imagine yeah. Melo on that Rockets team. I'm not saying they would have beat oh, the Warriors, but imagine that series, that Western Conference Finals, Golden State against Houston with Melo on the Rockets. That's the type of situation oh. I think that he needs to be in. But I don't know that that's going to happen because he loves. You know, I, I, I cover the, uh, the New York Cosmos as well in the NASL here in New York, and he just bought yeah. one of those teams, uh, Puerto Rico, which is going to start play this year. And he's got a bunch of other businesses. He loves he, to him having a lasting legacy in those areas. Uh, to him, I think is just as important yeah. as basketball, and his brand is important. That's why I think he'll probably never leave New York. And he also. He also gets it about New York that if he does somehow bring a title to the Knicks in New York, to him, and I think he's right about this, a lot of people feel about this, um, it, would be, it would be bigger for him to do that here than to, than to chase it somewhere else with, with some other else. stars in another city. So that's what he's hoping for. I just don't know that he's going to get there at 31 years old with, with some questionable uh, health with his knees maybe coming up in the future. Uh, and with the Knicks' timeline with Przingis and other players and other things they might do relative to his own timeline. So for his sake, I hope it happens. You know, I've been a Knicks fan since, since I was a kid, and, and now I'm fortunate enough to cover them, and I'd like to see it. It would be great for New York, but right now it yeah. just doesn't look like it's going to happen because it seems like Phil at the, at the moment, although he's made some good moves, is, is kind of not making the progress that I think people would have hoped. Well, I talked about it here on the Hoopers log last year around the trade deadline and during the during the off season, and I was like, man, there are two teams that if Melo went to, and you mentioned one of them, the Houston Rockets. I mean, it, Patrick Beverly, James Harden, Carmelo Anthony, uh, Dwight Howard. Uh, you keep going, and that bench and that team was so deep already. Uh, it just, man, I, I don't know of a better situation Melo could have been in himself obviously with the Houston Rockets, but another team that I think Andrew and I mentioned here on the Hoopers log when Andrew's around, uh, Carmelo Anthony would have been perfect in Chicago. I mean, you talk yeah. about a circumstance. Not now, obviously, because Chicago, I think, is going to implode right. here in the next uh, year or so. They're going to be a completely mm-hmm. different ball club here in the next year. But you talk about a guy, if he would have been there, I mean, uh, Jimmy Butler, Derrick Rose, Carmelo Anthony, Pau Gasol, and Joe Kim Noah. I mean, you're talking about you're talking about a championship. I told this to Andrew. I said, look, if the Knicks don't play well this year, and we we brought up circumstances where if Melo could be traded and all that stuff, if they don't play well, if he goes to the Bulls within the first you know month or two of the season in 2015-2016, this this team in the Chicago Bulls could win the title. And obviously, that has all gone to kaput now as uh, as Jimmy Butler got hurt and uh, Derrick Rose has had to lead the ship from time to time and. Derrick Rose is clearly not the player we all know from five years ago, just nowhere near that stratosphere anymore. But uh, Carmelo Anthony in the New York Knicks, I mean, uh, again, one of, the, one of the more offensively feared players ever in the league. It's just – it is a shame that he isn't on a team where he's had more success. 70 players in, in five years, that is an incredible – that is an incredible stat line. It's unbelievable. Jonathan, is there anything else you want to you mention before you get out of here? No, just that, you know, if people want to tune in tonight, you know, here in Baltimore, uh, NBC Sports Network uh, should be a great game. And uh, I really think the winner of this game uh, between Hofstra and UNCW tonight can uh, can probably do some damage. It's a team when you fill out your brackets uh, on, after yeah. Selection Sunday. Uh, whoever wins today is a, is a team to keep an eye on as, as a team that you might want to uh, circle it that could do some damage in the NCAA tournament. It should be a great game tonight. And, uh, again, as a, as a former Hofstra grad, I hope they win it. But, uh, objectively, uh, I'll be sitting there at the media table uh, trying to cheer on the inside but not show it outwardly and, uh, and just uh, expect a great game tonight from both teams. Jonathan Wagner from New York Sports uh, Sports. Uh, day dot uh, com. He writes for the Colonial, and he also covers the New York Knicks that we've talked about a lot today. We'll get you more on the show, okay, Jonathan? Thank you again for coming in, man. Uh, great, it was a pleasure having me. Pleasure being on this. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, no problem. We'll get you on more, and we'll definitely chat more on Twitter. Have a good one, buddy. All uh, right, you too. Take care, buddy.
Absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for calling in, Jonathan. A large portion there talking about the Knicks and their uh, their 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 tough times, and also talking about the Colonial and a lot of college basketball. As you know, March Madness is already here. It's not. It hasn't just started in. You know, it doesn't just start March 13th on Selection Sunday. It doesn't just start. Uh, you know, on the 17th of March on a Tuesday or Thursday, my apologies. It starts, it started March 1st, man. I mean, we already got five automatic bids. We've got a ton of big time conference tournaments starting up here on a Tuesday. It is going to be a nutso time of the year. And we already talked about those conference games. And I kind of want to give you a recap on what happened in the NBA. And we'll do that here in a little bit. But one thing I want to get to before I recap the NBA, obviously yesterday, the Golden State Warriors losing to the Los Angeles Lakers by 17 last night. I believe the score was 1-0, was was or 112 to to 95. The Golden State Warriors are fascinating now, and and I mentioned this over the weekend. And if you follow our YouTube channel of the Hoopers Law, go check it out. Feel free to do so. We talked about this while playing NBA 2K on Saturday night, Andrew and I were playing and we were talking about the Golden State Warriors and how they could potentially be the team that beats the Bulls. And it looked more and more realistic as we looked at the schedule and as we looked at just realistically how they could do it. And the, the Chicago Bulls, at, you know, obviously game 61, they lost to the Knicks. You know, we were just talking about the Knicks. And, uh, and then the Golden State Warriors lost to the Lakers the way they lost to the Lakers. And what's fascinating about the Lakers and 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 the Knicks and what they did to the to the to these two teams is the fact that they were lull periods for both of these teams. But what's also fascinating is the Golden State Warriors are now fifty five and six and the toughest part of their schedule is at the very end. They're gonna be playing a Memphis Grizzlies team who granted is not the same team that we saw at the beginning of the year with a healthy Marcus All and a healthy team altogether. They're not healthy. But the San Antonio Spurs, people you have to remember two weeks uh, about a week and a half from now, when they play on Saturday, March 19th, they go they go into Golden State, the San Antonio Spurs do, and they play the Golden State Warriors. And then they play the Golden State Warriors two more times at the end of the season. That Again, 55-6 and six is unbelievable. But to break the Bulls' record, they nearly have to go darn near perfect to the end of that stretch just to get it. I mean, there's don't sit here and tell me that this team can go perfect all the way the rest of the season and only lose three more games. They got 21 more games to do it and they can only lose three of those. And three of those games are against the Spurs down the stretch. They're not going to go perfect against that team. They're going to lose at least one, maybe two. That means they almost have to go, you know, night, you know, almost have to go 18 and three, you know, 18 and one for the rest of the way away from the Spurs. It's, it is going to be a stretch run now where honestly, they're going to have to prove to me, and they're going to have to dominate over these next couple of weeks up until they play the Spurs again on March 19th. I'm telling you, I'm getting my popcorn ready. I'm getting my Reese's Pieces. I'm getting whatever you need. I'm going to be March Madness out. I'm going to be basketball worn out. But that will be the game that's going to keep me going for that weekend because Spurs and Warriors in Golden State, that could be the game. Or that's going to be in San Antonio, my apologies. That game is going to be the game where we really know what the what the what the Warriors are made of? We've already had, they've already had their tests, their midseason tests in January, their midseason this. Their mid-season. We already know they're an unbelievable team, but when it comes to uh, that character and that fortitude and that ability to push forward, can they do it against the Spurs team in San Antonio on March nineteenth? If they can beat that team handily in that one, that's when I'll know. Okay, this is the team that's ready to get it going in uh, April when the playoffs start, because that's what's going to be happening there. Can they break the record? They still have to prove it. I mean, they still have two, they still have a month to go in this season and they have to go, they have to go 19 or excuse me, 18 and three, the rest of the way to break the record or 18 and 18 and three to break the record. That is a big time. Like that is not a, that is not an easy stretch there for a final 21 games of the season tomorrow. Andrew, hopefully, will be back on the air, and we'll give you our three-fourths of the way predictions for the NBA. We're going to talk about our awards that we will give out as of now, as of tomorrow for episode 87. We're going to talk more college basketball, but definitely tomorrow will be a big-time show on the Hoopers Log. It's been a long edition here. Obviously, a lot of talk with Jonathan Wagner there, about a 45-minute conversation with him. Um, but we've got another um, – We've got another about, I'd say, 10, 15 minutes here. We're gonna, there's no wipe-away performances we're going to talk about today. We didn't quite get to those. 
before the show, but that's okay. Uh, let's recap what happened in the world of the NBA over the weekend. Damian Lillard had another 50-point game on Friday. I think probably that was performance of the weekend when it came to his ability to get it, get it done. Again, we were talking about it. C.J. McCollum, guys like C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard coming from really small schools. Look out for those really small school players, those great players on those small schools like Wes Washburn. They could become big-time stars in the NBA when time moves forward. Let's just recap these scores for you and then give us give you our picks and we'll get out of here. On Friday, the Charlotte Hornets beat the Indiana Pacers 108-101. to Again, Charlotte moving on up 33-28. and They're now ahead of the Indiana Pacers. They're flying up in the standings in the NBA in the Eastern Conference. Suns get a win over the Orlando Magic, 102-84. to Big-time win there for them. Alex Lynn went off in that one. Uh, Miami Heat beat the Philadelphia 76ers 112 to 102. Miami with their 36th victory of the season. Boston in a classic beat the New York Knicks 105 to 104. A close one there. Melo went off on that one, but the but the uh, uh, it, Boston Celtics for the one that got it done there. 38th victory of the season for the Boston Celtics. They could win 50 by the end of the year. Toronto Raptors beating the Portland Trailblazers again. Damian Lillard went off for 50 points, but Demar Derozan pretty much matched them with 38, a close one there. A great game there is the Toronto Raptors of the season, the 60th game of the year for them. They won their 40, 50, uh, 41st game of the year, getting a win over the Portland Trailblazers, 117 to 115 there. Uh, Cleveland dominating Washington in the game of the night there, uh, getting the victory 108 to 83, a dominating fashion there. 43rd win of the season for the Cleveland Cavaliers as they keep pushing forward for that number one seed in the East. Memphis getting a victory over the Utah Jazz, 94 to 88, a big-time victory there for them. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks beat the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves 116-101. to 101. Uh, Brooklyn beats the Denver Nuggets in Denver 121-120, to 120, a big victory there for the Nets. And then the Atlanta Hawks destroyed the, uh, Kobe Bryant and the Lakers 106-77 to 77 on Friday. On Saturday night, obviously a lot of college basketball going on, but these are your NBA updates. Uh, Cleveland Cavaliers win 120-103, to 103, a big win over the Boston Celtics there. On Saturday night, the Knicks beat the Pistons 102 to 89. The Pistons have just been seesawing back and forth pretty much this entire season. They're 62 games in. They got 20 games to go. The, the Pistons got a lot of work to cut themselves out to try and get into a postseason berth. The Indiana Pacers beat the Washington Wizards 199, a big time victory there for them as they keep moving forward, 33rd win of the season. Jazz beat the Pelicans 106 to 94 as they move forward and try and get a eighth spot in the West. Uh, the Timberwolves blow out the Brooklyn Nets, 132-118. to 118. Carl Anthony Towns keeps performing the way he's playing. He's going to win Rookie of the Year. Bulls beat the beat the Rockets, 108-100 to 100 on national television. Again, the Bulls look so good with Jimmy Butler back. When he's back in the lineup, that becomes a affordable team to play in the Eastern Conference. Spurs get their 53rd victory of the season, beating the Kings 104-94, to 94, a big-time victory there. Spurs keep moving, keep chugging along. Now they're only about two games, three games back of the Golden State Warriors hanging in there right there behind them. Atlanta Hawks beat the Clippers 107-97. to The Clippers dropped to 40-21, and but with 21 games to go, they got a chance to find themselves hanging around in the Western Conference home seed for the first round. They got a chance of doing that if they keep pushing forward the way that they're going. Hawks win the 35th game of the year in that one. Yesterday in the NBA, the Oklahoma City Thunder beat the Milwaukee Bucks 104 to 96, getting the victory there. Giannis Antetokounmpo, third triple double of the season for the Milwaukee Bucks. The first time that the Milwaukee Bucks have had that since Alvin Robertson in 1990, 91 season. An incredible, that's just insane. That's 25 years ago. An incredible stat line for them as the Milwaukee Bucks get the loss. Russell Westbrook, 10th triple-double of the season. Uh, Kevin Durant was two assists shy of a triple-double. That would have been three triple-doubles in one game. We'll give you those white boys performances on our Facebook page. If you want to check those out, go to facebook.com slash the Hoopers log to check that out. Golden State getting beat 112-95 to to the Los Angeles Lakers. The biggest upset in regular season history in the NBA. The The Golden State Warriors had an over 900 winning percentage. The Los Angeles Lakers had an under 200 winning percentage, and it was the biggest disparity in regular season history. Vegas had this at, at the highest point, 23-point favorites for the Golden State Warriors, and the Lakers beat them by 17. Think about that. That's a, that is nearly a 35-point spread difference of, of what happened. I had it at plus 18 when I made my pick. I picked the Lakers plus 18, obviously got getting the victory, but 
plus 23 before the game time started at one point, and the Golden State Warriors get beat by 17. An unbelievable, uh, unbelievable uh, display there. And, and really, this game did not come down to just the Golden State Warriors having an off night. They did. I, nobody will debate that the Golden State Warriors had an off night. They didn't have the effort. They weren't hustling. I, nobody will debate that. But the Lakers, you've got to give them the credit. They really came out. And they look like a team that has really made a lot of steps this season. I know the wins don't necessarily show it, but when it comes to their ability to, to, to put together a 48 minutes of basketball and play together, play uh, cohesively, and, and look like, like they know what they're doing, because as we know, they've looked bad over the last you know two, three years. They have not looked like a very good team. Um, but in this game, they really found a way to, to, to run their own pace to find themselves, to match an identity, to do something to match with other teams, and and, and to actually look like they put together a, a game plan that they that they followed through and put together in place. They're a very young team, and with how they played against Golden State. Now, granted, Golden State, if they would have been shooting well from the field and made their shots and done what they normally do, I think this would have been a close ball game. I think it would have been definitely closer than an 18 point ball game. They probably would have won by five, but it would have been a close game. And uh, from that perspective, the, you got to give credit to the Los Angeles Lakers for taking advantage of a team on an off night, and they sh- and they surely did. And, and this wasn't just the fact that the Lakers aren't a good team; the Golden State Warriors really had an off night, and, and the Lakers just took advantage of the situation. They're getting their 13th victory of the season, Kobe Bryant's final time playing the Golden State Warriors. Uh, the the Phoenix Suns getting another victory, beating the Memphis Grizzlies 109 to 100 again, 17 and 46. They're finally coming around and getting some victories as they went on a 13-game skid about a week ago. Denver Nuggets beating the Dallas Mavericks 116-114, to 114, a shocker there as they went in overtime. Dallas has now played in 12 overtime games this season. Think about it. There are 82 games in a regular season. 12 of those they've played, and we're only three-quarters of the way through the season, and they've already played 12 overtime games. Think about it. They've played 63 games this season, and 12 of those have been overtime games. That's, that, is, that is remarkably insane like that that does not happen imagine playing baseball and going into extra innings like pretty much once a week that's pretty much what the the Dallas Mavericks have done here in this first uh in this first three quarters of the season Detroit Pistons absolutely hammer the Portland Trailblazers 123 to 103 there again I don't have the stat lines for the players in front of me but they got the victory there now 32 and 31 a big victory for the Pistons. Um, Miami Heat beat the Philadelphia 76ers 103 to 98, getting a victory there now, 37 and 26 for the Miami Heat. Obviously, Philadelphia at 8 and 55. Just, just, just tail spinning out of control there in Philadelphia. And the Houston Rockets beating the Toronto Raptors last night, 113 to 107. Those are your recaps of the scores in the NBA from last night and over the weekend. Obviously, those white boy performances will be up on Facebook. If you want to follow, Andrew or I on Twitter. Mine is Simo Buckets two five three, and Andrew's is at Talk B Ball now. Obviously, the Hoopers log uh, YouTube is up, and we have our videos up as of now. If you want to check those out and comment, and feel free to to, to ask questions. And if you want to join, hit us up on Twitter, DM us. Feel free to do so. We're we're looking for people to join so that when we get our website up in April, that we can get writers, we can get people joining in on the YouTube videos. If you want to have Skype conversations, if you want to get all these things going on the Hoopers log. Please feel free to either contact me at Simo uh, Buckets two five three or contact Andrew at Talk B Ball now uh, today or whenever you can. Uh, just get it done. And feel free to do so. Again, I know this has been a very long episode, and I'm going to give you my picks, and then we're out of here. Episode eighty six been one of the longer episodes I've done in a long time, and uh, just just in general, it's been one of the longer uh, episodes. That's just gone on record uh, for the Hooper's log. Uh, we've done ninety-eight minute. Ep- we've done ninety-minute episodes before. This isn't new, but considering the topics that we had today, again, not really necessary to go as long. But we had Jonathan Wagner, a fantastic guest, on today, and we got him in. Uh, Cleveland is favored today, uh, twelve and a half points favorites um, as they play the uh, the Memphis Grizzlies in in Memphis, or excuse me, in Cleveland. Uh, it's on NBA TV, clearly. If you want to check that out, you can. But I would suggest watching the college basketball. But if you just want to watch some NBA, go tune into NBA TV and watch that one. Or if you have League Pass, you can watch all these games. Cleveland favored by 12.5. Look, they're going to bounce back. They're going to play fine. They're going to dominate this one. They've been dominating. The Memphis Grizzlies don't have anyone down low. Cleveland should dominate in that one. Take the 12.5. They should get the victory. 
Spurs are favored by seven over the uh, Indiana Pacers. Look, the Pacers can play tough in this one. I wouldn't be shocked if they got the victory, uh, if the Spurs got the victory in a closer matchup. But I think the Spurs will pull away late, and I think they'll ultimately win the ball game by about eight or nine points, something like that. Spurs will get the victory. They should dominate, get them. They'll get their 54th win of the season. Minnesota is plus nine against the Charlotte Hornets. I think the Charlotte Hornets will win this ball game, but it'll be much closer. The, 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 the Portland, the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves are improving throughout each game, and they dominated over the weekend in one of their ball games. Again, obviously they won by about 20 points. This team is playing a lot better basketball as of late, and for them to be nine-point underdogs on the road against Charlotte after a day off, I think that's that's a little bit uh, immature by the, by the Vegas odds. But we'll take advantage of it, and I think the I think the Trailblazers, excuse me, I think the Minnesota Timberwolves will keep it a closer game than they think. I think Charlotte will win, but it'll be definitely a very close ball game. That's my lock of the day. Milwaukee and Chicago. Look, I think Chicago's going to get the victory, but I think it's going to be closer than we think. Milwaukee's going to keep this ball game close. They've been playing great basketball as of late. They kept it close against the Thunder. Who's to say they can't keep it close against the Bulls? Clippers are minus five favorites against the Dallas Mavericks. Obviously, the Dallas Mavericks have not been playing unbelievable basketball as of late. The Dallas, uh, the, the, the Clippers are the team that's really playing well right now. Um, they have 40 wins for a reason. They're, they're one of the top teams in the West for a reason. They're going to get it done tonight, and they're going to beat the Dallas Mavericks in a big way. Kings and Pelicans, look, all i got to say is look out for the matchup. DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, two of the best big men in the NBA, that's going to be the thing to watch. I think Sacramento gets the victory just based upon the fact that DeMarcus Cousins can dominate Anthony Davis down low physically, and I think he's going to want to win that matchup, and winning that matchup will give them a victory in Sacramento. And then the final game of the night, I think this will be the game everyone's focusing on, obviously after the, obviously after they lost last night uh, to the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, the Orlando Magic head into Golden State. Golden State is favored by 14.5. I don't think they can bounce back and dominate that big against the Orlando Magic. I could be wrong. They could win by 20. But Orlando is only favor- Orlando is getting 14.5 points. Give Orlando the 14.5 and, and just see what happens. Who knows? Maybe the Golden State Warriors have another off night at night, and they have a tough one against the Orlando Magic. It could happen. You never know. It's late in the year. Anything could happen at this point in time. We saw it yesterday against the Lakers. Who's to say? It won't happen again. That's the show today. Um, thank you again for listening, everybody. It was a very long, jam-packed show. Obviously, check out those quick hitters on YouTube and check out our YouTube channel at the Hooper's Log and find us on the Apple iPod, you know, the Apple uh, podcast area on the App Store, and you can find us today and, and, and listen on to every podcast that we have. Uh, my name is Simo Buckets. Andrew Norris should be back with us tomorrow. If not, hey, you know, it, it, he's sick. He's he's working. He's a very busy man. It happens. But Andrew Norris will be back with us once he can, and he'll get the chance to do so. Okay. We've got about a minute left on the show. Again, episode 86 is in the books. Thank you again for listening, everybody. Episode 87 tomorrow. We will be recapping the first three quarters of the season in the NBA and give you our awards to this point in the season. And we'll also give you the recap on what's going on in the world of college basketball and update you on anything else that's going on in the world of hoops. My name is Timo Buckets. I'm out of here. I will be back tomorrow. Same time, same place. Hopefully Andrew will be back as well. If not, we'll get him on when he gets back on. Thank you again for listening, everybody. Have a great day. See you tomorrow.